Marcus, I hope it's okay if I do this. Good to see you. I hope you're well today. Two people said yes. But we welcome you to Loudonville Community Church. May God bless you as we gather together and celebrate his worth as we worship him. It is Sunday, February 19th of 2023, and God is on his throne today, and all of God's people said, amen. And I share with Pastor Mike and many of you, all of us, as we hear reports of God moving in extraordinary ways in different places, and whenever we sense that and begin to taste that ourselves, uh, we can always just simply place ourselves in a posture of saying, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want to do in me and say to me and through me change, uh, Father, I am available for that. And so he is enthroned forever, but there are those moments, we call them revival, when God seems to, to rise from the throne. And in the words of Isaiah who prayed, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. So we pray that God will do that everywhere. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me, if you will, to the book of Proverbs. As I've said before, just crack it open to the book of Proverbs, and then I'll lead you through several different places in our message today. When Hudson Taylor, the innovative missionary, was only 23 years of age, his life fell apart. He had been serving Christ in China for just two years when his unorthodox methods were severely scrutinized and his sending agency failed to send the support funds that they promised. At the same time, the woman that he loved wrote to him from home and said that she did not love him anymore. And then the final straw was when he was ordered by the British government to cease all missionary labors and what was then known as a non-treaty town. It was an agreement between the Chinese government and where missionaries could and could not minister. And a place where he was seeking to share the gospel, they told him to stop. He wrote his mother saying, my dear mother, my heart is sad, sad, sad. I do not know what to do. And at his lowest point, God provided a special friend named William Burns. Though 20 years older than Hudson Taylor, they forged a unique bond. For seven months, they traveled together, they served together, they prayed together. One biographer writes, Burns saved Hudson Taylor from himself. Rejected by conventional missionaries, he might have grown into an isolated prig an individualist adventuring in steadily contracting circles, leaving nothing behind but a few converts and an awkward memory. He received, though, from Burns an imprint which was never effaced. Hudson Taylor's own son describes that uncommon friendship between Hudson Taylor and William Burns, stating, the friendship of this man was the gift of God to my father at this particular juncture. And such a friendship is one of the crowning blessings of life. Such a friendship is one of the crowning blessings of life. In friendship, we experience not only deep kinship, but spiritual and mental refreshment. 
a true friend is an extraordinary gift from God. While I had many childhood friends that filled my days with activities and laughter, it wasn't until I went to college that I encountered the kind of profound connection that can only be shared between friends. And to meet someone, in this case of the same gender, who thought the way that I did, who shared the same perspective about life, who had the dry, same dry sense of humor, who had also at times a biting, sarcastic wit, and whose walk with God challenged my own, was beyond anything that I had experienced before. That friendship became invaluable to me. Friends shape us. They sharpen us. The best of friends encourage our souls in God. Again, they are among his best gifts. And yet, so many of us find friendships elusive, often confounding, and sometimes even toxic. We crave connection, but we seldom experience it to its fullest. And the older we get, the harder it is to make friends, leaving us with the feeling that while it's nice to have them when possible, friends are really not all that necessary. Over 60 years ago, C.S. Lewis observed this phenomenon when he wrote, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, he writes in comparison, ignores it. So today, we want to open up some, some senses, some realities about friendship that we tend to ignore. Last week in our series from Proverbs, we talked about marriage and, and the parenting relationship. This morning, I'd like us to think for a few moments about how to forge life-giving, life-sharing friendships. And friendship is a huge topic in the book of Proverbs. I'm actually struck by the sheer number of Proverbs that are related to friendship and then especially the bold claims that these Proverbs make. One of the most famous Proverbs about friendship is Proverbs 18 verse 24, which says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Besides warning us that there is a danger actually in having too many friends, there is also in that verse a fascinating comparison between friends and siblings. That's an extraordinary statement because in a culture that valued family cohesion and togetherness, Proverbs 18 verse 24 suggests that a friend may not only feel like family, but can actually be better than a sibling. Friends, again, define us. So biologically, we share with our family members the same stuff of life that we call our DNA. We look alike to varying degrees. We share a powerful narrative, often wonderful, extraordinary memories with one another. And yet, friends may actually have a greater influence over us than our own family. Our friends inspire us. They should motivate us to be better. And while true friendship will sometimes hurt, 
It never harms us. So there is this stickiness that Proverbs 18 refers to between friends that may never quite exist between siblings. So let me invite you to take your Bibles now and go with me, if you will, to Proverbs 27. As we go a little deeper in seeing what Proverbs says about choosing friends and being a friend and giving and getting a little help from our friends. One important note for our reading in Proverbs, this will affect us even as we read Proverbs 27, but in the various Proverbs scattered throughout this book, both the English word friend and neighbor, both words, come from the same Hebrew word. We're going to track down other Proverbs on friendship that are scattered around this book, but I want to begin this morning by reading from God's word in Proverbs 27. And hear God's word. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. That's where James got that. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is, who is near than a brother who is far away. And this is God's holy and inspired word to us, and all of God's people said, in a book that urges us to get wisdom, Proverbs explicitly makes the case that trying to do life without a friend is the opposite of wisdom. It's folly. Recall that after the sixth day of creation, when God made Adam, something bothered God immediately that even Adam was oblivious to at first. Before sin and before the fall, God said what? That it was not good for man to be alone. And even in the midst of Adam's innocence, an imperfection was spotted by God in his own creation. A void was found in Adam that could only be filled by a fellow companion. And since we, like Adam, were made in the image of God, we all, too, have this void in us that goes back to the Garden of Eden. And apparently, it is a void that even God himself cannot fill. Proverbs recognizes that void. And how it is filled speaks of the sweetness of friendship that verse 9 in Proverbs 27 refers. This hole in our hearts 
is filled by the sweetness of friendship. Yes. Augustine said that all of us have this God-shaped void that only he can fill. But apparently Adam in this state of innocence and perfection had another hole in his heart that could only be filled by a companion. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, if you think that you can go through life on your own, Proverbs literally says, you are out of your mind. C.S. Lewis also said this about friendship. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. So Proverbs says more about friendship than just our need for them. So let's go a little bit further this morning. One of the first things I recognize in reading various Proverbs, again, scattered throughout this book, is the importance of choosing the right friends. That's the first place I want you to go with me this morning, choosing the right friends. This is where it all begins. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. When it comes to having friends, we always have a choice. In most cases, we can't choose our family, adoption at least being one of those exceptions, but we do choose our friends. And the choice we make is consequential because our friends determine the direction of our lives. Our friends rub off on us. We become like the friends we choose. And if you choose a fool as your companion, Proverbs tells us repeatedly, you will suffer harm. The English translation of the Latin Vulgate says, fool he ends, that fool be friends. In other words, if you hang out with fools, you'll become one. Proverbs 22 verse 24 says, make no friendship with a man given to anger nor go with a wrathful man. Choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends because they will eventually shape you. Charles Bridges, a 19th century preacher who I've quoted a couple of times in this series because his commentary on Proverbs is so amazing, said, it is not up to us to determine if there will be any influence, only what that influence will be. And that is so true regarding our friendships. Now, those who, who teach about friendship, people we might call friendship gurus, often use the image of concentric circles to capture the variety of relationships we all have. And so for a moment, take a look at the screen and, and look at that image, even if it is a little fuzzy. I, I ask for your pardon on that, but the idea I think is pretty clear. Because outside the largest circle is the general public. And these are the people that you see every day as you head out of your driveway and go wherever life may take you. And, and you see people everywhere. And some of them you know by name, but most of the people that you will encounter at large out there in the community are nameless faces in the crowd. And it has always intrigued me, for example, that you can head, for instance, to Price Chopper at a certain time of the day and see a collection of people and you may never see some of those people ever again, though you just live minutes away from them. 
I think about that all the time. Maybe I'm the only weird guy who thinks that, but oftentimes I go, I will never see that person probably ever again. That's the public. That's the people who are just out there. And then moving inward, you come to your acquaintances and then friends, and then finally, in the innermost circle, you come to those who are your close friends. These are those with whom you are most intimate. The ones who occupy that inmost circle are the people that we want to talk about today. We can have lots of friends. Certainly we can have numerous acquaintances, people whose names we know, people who who we know maybe a little bit about their life and we say hi to on a regular basis. But we really can only have a small nucleus of truly close friends. If you have one or two or maybe three, you are extraordinarily blessed. Close friends are your true friends, the ones that are necessary if you are going to survive. And true friends are few. Remember again the first half of Proverbs 18, verse 24, which says a man of many companions may come to ruin. Facebook and its marketing strategy has tricked us. And thinking that we can have hundreds, if not thousands of friends, have all the friends that we want. Drew Hunter in his book, Made for Friendship, writes, we should be more like a submarine, holding few and going deep. But we've made it more like a cruise ship, filled with lots of nice people whom we don't know well at all. We won't even get to explore a whole other range of proverbs this morning that talk about the very real and dangerous presence of fake friends. Friends who pretend to be close. Friends that pretend to be intimate with us, but are far from it. Over and over again, the book of Proverbs says that there are fake friends who, who only seek you out for what they can get from you. Proverbs mentions all the time about how wealthy people seem to have a lot of friends. Well, you can change the issue of wealth to anything, status or position or whatever it is. And sometimes people only want from you what they can get from you. So we are to choose our closest friends wisely since they are so few. The second thing I want us to encounter about true friendship from Proverbs is the power of being the right kind of friend. Not only looking for the right kind of friend, but being the right kind of friend. So what kind of person should you choose to be a part of that inner circle of the most intimate? And this is, again, a wonderful place where Proverbs takes us because we recognize that this works both ways. It, again, describes the close friend you are and the close friend that you desire. And the first quality in both ways is loyalty. Constancy. Proverbs 27, verse 10, that section we began with near the beginning, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Again, constancy, loyalty. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 
In that second proverb, there's an interesting comparison, again, between friend and brother. There is that strong obligation that family members feel, sometimes out of a sense of duty, but certainly a sense of love for one another. When one of your family member faces adversity, everybody seems to rush in and do what they can. That's a part of our duty as family. But what makes a friend sweet? What enriches that reality is is that they do not care for you out of obligation or even a sense of duty. A friend is simply one who chooses to love you, to care for you, and you the same. So what does it mean to love at all times? Does it mean that you're always there, always around, (laughs) always with your friend? There is another proverb. The exact reference escapes me at the moment that says, if you are a neighbor or a friend, don't always show up at your friend's house. Uh, don't, don't, don't act as if the door is always open to you and you must be together constantly. That's pretty suffocating. A true friend, though, is a person that you can turn to at any season of your life. If you're, at face, if you're facing adversity, if you're relishing an accomplishment or you're just experiencing the mundane of the routine, a true friend is someone who will always be there for you. A close friend is there in times of trouble. Better is a neighbor who is near, Proverbs says, than a brother who is far away. We know this. True friends show themselves in times of adversity when you're in trouble or in need, and they show up. They'll be there for you. When your life gets messy, they'll be around. And remember, again, that works both ways. It takes loyalty and constancy to be that kind of friend. But not only does it take loyalty, it also takes forgiveness to be a true friend. Conflict or friction is a given in any relationship that seeks to go deeper. And how you react when friction flares up will will determine just how deep your friendships will be. Friends forgive when there's an offense. It will happen. We just do that to one another. But Proverbs 17, verse 9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. In other words, a true friend doesn't hold a grudge. Someone has said, keeping a long, detailed record of wrongs is like building a friendship with a revolver under your coat. You're always ready to pounce. You're always downloading that file that says, offenses are going to be count the ways. Friends who can't get over stuff, whatever that stuff may be, won't be friends for long. A friend overlooks a fault, not out of deception, not pretending that the fault didn't exist, but a friend covers an offense out of love. Henry Ward Beecher once stated, keep a fair-sized cemetery in your backyard in which to bury the faults of your friends. A close friend lets bygones be bygones. They bury the past. How do you bury the past? Through forgiveness. True friends are loyal. True friends are forgiving. Thirdly, true friends are candid. 
Listen again to Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Just think about that verse for a moment. Those two verses which run together, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Who likes to be rebuked? None of us. Verse six, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. All profuse, many are the kisses of an enemy. I think most of us like to be kissed, especially by someone we love. But profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A true friend says what's, what's needed. It may be hard, usually is, but they love you enough to say it. And that's what it means to rebuke. It means to be honest enough and candid enough to correct a friend when you see that friend going in the wrong direction. Who among us maybe hasn't experienced that profound challenge in our lives? When I've had to go to a friend whom I love and care about, saw some decisions that I knew were just going to lead to trouble and out of love and with tears, plead for a change of course. It's never easy to do. And it must always be done out of love. I'm reminded often of that moment in David's life when for months he walked in deception over his sin with Bathsheba until Nathan the prophet appeared. And when he confronted the king, which is no easy thing to do, I am convinced that he did not stand there with a finger in David's eye saying, you're the man, but with a broken heart and with a tear in his eye. But it's the kind of rebuke that is often given when you have a friend who loves you so deeply. A true friend doesn't stay silent out of love when another friend falters, but dares to say what needs to be said because of love. That's what drives us. And let's face it, a rebuke always stings at first. You're on the receiving end. It never feels good to be rebuked. It wounds. But when spoken by a true friend, they are designated, Proverbs says, as faithful friends. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So true friendship will occasionally wound. But those wounds can be trusted. Rebukes are acts of allegiance shared among close friends. A true friend will never stab you in the back, but will rather rebuke you to your face because they love you. They won't talk about you. They won't spread it among others. They'll look you eye to eye out of love. There is truth in what Oscar Wilde said years ago, a true friend Stabs you in the front. And did you notice again in Proverbs 27 that the rebuke in verse 5 is contrasted with the profuse kisses of an enemy in verse 6. In Proverbs, so often a kiss is associated with flattery. Flattery is always disguised speech. 
We talked about it a few weeks ago, but it is, it pretends to offer words of affirmation that feel so good to hear, but they aren't actually true. However, a rebuke from a friend will wound, but it's always faithful. A compliment from an enemy will always affirm, but it's flattery. You want a close friend. You want an intimate friend who will speak candidly, openly, and honestly, transparently with you. You're sensing what true friendship is like. It's loyal. It's forgiven. It's so open that a friend doesn't defend you no matter what, but loves you no matter what. And it's candid enough to tell you when you're wrong. Just as in marriage, every friendship consists of two sinners. And when we stay in the, stray in the wrong direction and quit doing the right thing, and we won't remain quiet out of some mistaken notion that love always looks the other way. No, a true friend rebukes, but a true friend is never a bully. There's love. There's openness. And how will we respond when a true friend is candid enough to rebuke us? Proverbs 17 verse 10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. What a picture. You can beat a fool bloody and still he won't get it. So how do we become people for whom a rebuke isn't like your head becoming a punching bag and you never quite get it? How, do you, how does a rebuke go deeper than a hundred blows in our desire to be holy and our quest to grow and our desire to become more and more like Jesus every single day? We need wise friends, loving friends, forgiving friends, candid friends who will love us enough to walk that journey with us together. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And then you know Proverbs 27 verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Stick with that image again for just a moment. What happens when iron hits iron? They're sparks. You swing an axe on something like an axe head. If iron strikes iron, you feel it. I mean, it sort of just rings through your whole body and your hands just begin to ache. And at the same time, sparks come. That's what happens when iron hits iron. So if you want to be the kind of friend that your friend needs... Make sure that cutting and jabbing and rebuking isn't your only mode, but be an anvil. Be that solid base on metal, which another piece of iron can be hammered out upon. Be the kind of friend that makes others sharper and better and more effective and more Christ-honoring. That's, that's how we make one another more like Christ. The last thing I want you to see in Proverbs is that the value of a true friend is priceless. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. 
If you have a true friend, you have unearthed a rare jewel. Hear me. In the book of Proverbs and in the Bible, friendships matter. They are necessary for us in order to do life. They are not always to forge, but when the hard work of excavating and digging is done, it is discovered to be priceless. Your friends will help you become wise, which is the entire purpose of this book. Now, we've already heard Proverbs 18, verse 24, a couple of times this morning. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The King James Version translates that same verse this way. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. If Proverbs has awakened in any of us the desire for such a friend, or maybe if you have within that closest circle a friend or two or three and you want those relationships, those friendships to go deeper, let me challenge you not to wait for the other person to make the move. You make the move first. The old poem was right. I went out to find a friend but could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and found them everywhere. To find a friend, we must first be a friend. A man and his family were moving into a new, new town, and while on the outskirts of that town, they stopped for gas, and, and while he was there at the pump, he, he began to speak to another man who was also filling up his car and said that they were new in town, and he asked the man there if, if the residents of the, of the town just ahead, what they were like. And the man said, well, it all depends. Tell me what the people were like in your last town, he asked. And the man said, well, they were unkind and unfriendly. (laughs) And the man said, well, that's what you'll find the people in this town to be like too. Who you are is often what you get. If you want a friend who goes deep, who's loving, who's forgiving, who's candid, first Be that way, and you will never lack a friend. As we close, Proverbs unveils its understanding of friendship as a gift from God. And they are, again, some of his best gifts. And that's what makes this Old Testament book, I think, such a a theologically profound book. Because in almost any topic of life, God doesn't leave anything out here where wisdom needs to appear. So I cannot just exhort you then to go out to go out and to be nice to others, be friendly to others so that you can gain friends, so that you'll just have a series of great relationships. That's important. And we exhort you, I exhort you in that way. But the appeal of this book is first of all, get wisdom. And what is wisdom? I hope you've memorized the definition now. It is the skillful application of the fear of the Lord and all of the issues and complexities of life. You must fear him if you're going to be the kind of friend to others as well as receive the friendship 
of others. But you must also fear him because he is the best friend anyone could ever want. God is. Jesus is. You can trust him and through him be a friend to others. So while Proverbs says so much to us about friendship, let me bring to your, your recollection the words of Jesus spoken to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion when he said in the upper room in John 15, verse 13, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. By extension, he is speaking to us. That's a marvelous thought. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. There is no greater friend than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the best friend you could ever want. Yes, he is more than a friend. He is our savior. He is God. He is our atoning sacrifice. But when we think about Jesus as our friend, he's never fake or phony. He's never here to get anything from us. Rather, he came to lay down his life for us. There is this self-sacrificing nature of the truest of friends. And that's who Jesus is. He's never annoying. He's never angry. He will never let you down. He is absolutely trustworthy. And he just doesn't make us better. He makes us brand new. That's what the friendship of Jesus Christ with us does. He is the best friend you will ever need. So even as we may hear a message like this on friendship and wonder what kind of friends do I have and what kind of friend can I be? First, renew yourself in your friendship with him. He calls you a friend. And out of the fullness of that relationship, be a friend to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us these weeks to, to dive into this book and from various perspectives and angles talk about the issues of life. And over the last two weeks, we've talked about relationships, whether it's marriage and spouse to spouse or parent to child and child to parent, and then to this area that certainly affects every single one of us. What does it mean to be a faithful, true, close friend? Father, we ask that as you help us heed the clear instructions of Proverbs to be wise in our choices because our friends shape us, to be the kind of friend and receive in friendship those qualities of love and forgiveness and candidness. Father, these friendships are forged by your grace in order for us as Christians especially 
to make us more like Jesus. So I pray for our church because there are connections here. There are friendships here that I simply ask you to deepen, to take to new levels. There are needs here where I know one is is desiring deep friendship and not sure how to go about it but teach us and show us what it means to be a friend as we are a friend. And thank you that Jesus shows us the way. First in reconciling us to himself, being our atoning sacrifice, being the one who gave his life for us. He sets the tone, the model, the nature of what true, lasting, loyal friendship looks like. And so may the spirit and the heart, the wonderful trust and gentleness and faithfulness of Christ find its way and expression in our own lives. Jesus Christ, what a friend. What a friend of sinners. What a friend of those in need. And help us now, Father, to be a friend like him. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let me invite you to stand.